Sunday glitch that, you know, I got to go to work together. No, I don't want to, you know, and, and we, we lose a lot of which, uh, a lot of what God has sown into our life. And so I hope today to just kind of instruct us as a family on what to do. What action should we take now? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, 110 was just, you know, some euphoric, epic time. It was awesome. And God definitely, he's it sowed some seed into my heart. And as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I want to hold on to that. I want to hold on to that. I don't want to just be inactive and just sit back, daft out at Facebook and my television screen. I mean, I watched all five Rocky movies this week. Six? Well, maybe three of them, okay, because we started early prior to. But, but, but I, you know, how many, you know, after something like 110, when you just give all your physical energy, emotional and spiritual energy to it, I don't know about you, I just got to sit back, eat some apple crisp with a lot of vanilla ice cream, and watch Rocky. I just, it's what's got to happen. But there is a danger in that, isn't there? There's a danger in that. And, you know, and, and usually the trend is to do such. It's just like, oh, that was good. It's over. I expended a lot of energy emotionally, physically, spiritually. I just need to rest. <laughs> Let's watch three Rocky movies every day, me and my son. Ba-ba-ba. You might have noticed. I mean, he's singing it, talking about it. You know, he went to a boxing class this week. I mean, what is going on? Rocky is affecting our family. <laughs> Rocky's a great movie. Listen, I would encourage everyone to go back to the classics in uh, those classic movies and check it out even to the the latest i mean rocky loses no, he, he loses the match but it's so epic because he's this old dinosaur of a of a of a person who who has lost all his creds he's got this dive bomb house and he's got this little mediocre restaurant there in philadelphia i believe and uh and and he's just struggling to get by and he decides to go back in the ring with a young kid who's a champion. Man, that's just awesome. I'm like, God, when I'm a dinosaur, just let me, when I got like, you know, lint coming out my ear and dust on my nose, I was like, God, let me have that kind of zeal. Come on, Romans chapter 12. Never be found lacking in what? Zeal. Come on, Rocky had zeal. Anyways, but to my message, to my message, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Is everybody okay? All right. Matthew chapter 13. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, I believe this is... I, I've tried the ESV for a while, and it's, I think it's the closest to the King James Version in terms of its language. But the NLT is a modern twist of that. It's the closest modern, you know, kind of spin on that. Uh, and I noticed that not a lot of people are sporting the NLT, but I love it. So I'm going to read out of that. So the words that you might show may not match up, but don't be concerned. If you have an iPad, it's great. Just tap, you know... NLT, and you're good, you're in. All right, Matthew chapter 13. Here it is later, that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into the boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told them many stories in the form of parables, such as this. Here we go, letters in red, Jesus' words. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly, but because the soil was shallow, I'm sorry, but 
sorry, the seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. Sorry, I'm adding to Jesus' words. We don't want to do that. Let's back up. Verse 6. But the plants soon uh, wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up, and they were choked out by the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced, what, a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now listen to this. Jesus sums up this portion of the parable with these words. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I just want you to put on your listening ears today. Okay? You know, we tend to hear a lot. Are you, are you guilty of the same thing that I'm guilty? Having a conversation with somebody, like you're, you're acting like you're interested. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're just nodding and shaking your head. You're yesing him to death, but you're just not listening. You go away and you totally have forgotten every word that was just shared in that conversation. Are you guilty of that? I am guilty of that. Please forgive me. But this is nothing like that. Jesus is calling for uh, the paying of a close attention to his words. It's not just, yeah, Jesus, that's nice. It's, now it's a large crowd, right? It's gathered around Jesus. His homies are there. The 12 are hanging out with him. He goes into a boat because the crowd is so big. And he sums up this parable with saying, anyone with ears, let him hear. I'll just say this this morning. Guys, we want to put on our hearing ears this morning. It's, it's, it's quite likely that Jesus used the parable to see mainly if people were listening. Remember the disciples, I believe, in like verse 13 or something around there. We'll probably get to it in my notes. But the disciples were like, Jesus, why do you speak to these people in parables? Right? They're asking questions. Now, that question wasn't derived from just like, can't you do this better? You know, there's, can't you like break this down into more of a, you know, language that these guys and gals can understand? That's not what they were saying. The crutch of that question was a desire to truly understand what Jesus meant about the sower, the farmer who sowed seed into the different types of ground. Are you hearing me? So in essence, Jesus is using parables to see who is truly listening now, have you ever been that person? Maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's your pastor, maybe it's a friend, and they're kind of just grilling you in some, some knowledge, and, and you think you got it, but you don't quite got it. You, and, and you just don't yes them to death, but you say, okay, what do you mean? That's, that's the disciples' hearts. There was a hunger to understand what the parable was that Jesus had just delivered to this large crowd. It wasn't questioning them. It wasn't them saying, hey, Jesus, surely there has to be a better way. No, it was them saying, we are hungry to understand, Jesus, what it is you're talking about. That's the posture we should take, guys. The crust of this parable is not an issue of the message. It's an issue of the hearer and their receptivity to receive and understand what it is the parable is about. Now, I'm sure probably about 75%, if not 80% of the people were like, yeah, that's great, yeah. 
got it, farmer, threw some seed, whatever. What is this guy smoking? And, but I'm sure there was another percent, like the disciples, like, what is it that you mean, Jesus? We want to understand what it is you're talking about. You know, the disciples had responded so enthusiastically to Jesus' bold proclamation of the kingdom of God, hadn't they? And, and they were probably a little taken back when others didn't share the same response to Christ's teachings as they did. And this parable mainly has four scenes, right? The path, uh, the rocky place, and the thorns, and the good soil. Jesus uses them as an example that the response to his teaching depends not only, again, on the message, but on the readiness of the hearers to receive it. Listen to me. Listen to me. Get, listen, I, I can't help it if you didn't get enough sleep. Get, get awake. Okay, You want to hear this because if we don't get this, if we don't hear it, if we don't understand it, if we don't apply it, then we will be one of the three unproductive grounds that Jesus was talking about in this parable. Come on. I I get it. A lot of preachers get the bum deal. I just don't understand. I just don't. Now, I will will definitely agree that there are some preachers, and even myself at times, have been like, what am I talking about? (laughs) Did I just say that? I mean, but for the most part, guys, we have to put our listening ears up. It's not just enough to nod our head and say, oh, that was a good word. Bless the Lord. He did good. He didn't stumble over his words. He didn't make words up. He didn't sweat bad because he was so nervous. You understand what I'm saying? We have to, in our approach to Scripture, in our approach to what God does in our life, we have to take more than just... What's my Facebook status? Who cares about your Facebook status? We have to have the same hunger that the disciples had when they asked Jesus, what do you mean? The same seed was cast, it was sown into all the types of grounds that Jesus talked about. So it wasn't an issue that, you know, a little less was given to the path, because maybe there was a chance that it might find root, and a little bit more was, you know, cast upon the thorns, because, you know, that's a that's a tricky place, you know, the thorns. I mean, I let my garden go this summer. My God, I think it's gone forever. You just, all the weeds have just, you know. Some of you are looking at me, what is he talking about? I'm talking about not maintaining your ground. We didn't maintain our little garden that we have there in Haverhill. And the weeds and the thorns and everything is just growing on top. And hopefully we can rescue it next summer. He didn't just cast, you know, a little bit more to uh, the rocky places or the thorns. He, he cast the same, the farmer cast the same seeds amongst all grounds, all the three types of four types of grounds. But only one ground was fertile. It was the good soil. Again, according to Jesus, there were three unproductive areas, the path, the rocky places, and the thorns. Jesus interprets these types of hearers in verses 19 through 22. Can we look at verse 19 through 22? Is that okay? Is everybody all right? Pinch your neighbor and say, you're looking good today. Come on, pinch him. Don't hard, don't break skin. And then pinch your other neighbor. If she's a girl and you're a guy, say, hey, you want to go on a date tonight? Now, if, they're, you know, if you're not interested, don't do that. That's just not wrong. Um, 
Verse 19, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches it away. The seed that is planted in their hearts. Verse 20, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since, now listen to this, because I think this is right where most of us are at. We mainly fall within the two first categories of what Jesus is explaining. Here it is, verse 20, let's read it again. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they do, do not have deep roots, they, they don't last long, excuse me. They fall away as soon as they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. Verse 22, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's words, uh, God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So what? No fruit can be produced. You know, Jesus, God, they're both interested in our lives bearing fruit. Bearing something. And I think most of us, me included, have like some kind of idea that it's not really important to be fruitful. Understand, in the book of Genesis, God gave Adam and Eve a command. Go into the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And all through scripture, you see that language. Where God tells his people, be fruitful and multiply. See, the whole point of us having our being good soil, when the, when the Lord casts a seed, that it can be fertile in our lives, is that we would bear fruit. Why? Because in bearing fruit, God is glorified. And God is interested in his own glory. Come on, I say this many times. God is very interested. He has a very strong appetite to be glorified in the earth. And that mainly happens through people like you and me as we bear fruit. So here they are in order. If we were to define these three types of unproductive ground, those who simply will not listen. And then there's those whose responses are superficial. And then thirdly, those who are preoccupied with other concerns. All these three types of grounds are familiar to any preacher, any pastor, then and now. Here again, Jesus teaches that the fault is not is with the hearers, excuse me, and not the message. Because when the seed falls on good ground, it does one thing and one thing only. It's productive. It's productive. It, period. You know, I've been in ministry for quite some time, and I've probably been accused of this very same thing. I don't mean to accuse anybody. That sounded pretty hard. But, you know, you, you have a weekend like we had last weekend, and, you know, you get around different believers, and they're like charged, and like, oh, God, thank, thank you for doing that, Pastor Daryl. Like, I did something. You know, uh, but, but thank you for putting this on. And I'm, that's awesome. I love it. And they're just jacked. They're jazzed on God. They're just ready to take the world. You see him a couple days later and you think they're on the verge of suicide. I mean, that's a little stretching it. I'm just trying to be, well, that's not funny, but you understand. Well, that was funny. You could laugh there. Uh, 
no, but they, they snap so quick from what they were so excited about over the weekend, what God had done in their lives and in their hearts. And you start to wonder, was it real? You start to look at scripture. You start to just look at Matthew chapter 13 and say, okay, God, this is not unto nothing. This is not so we can just have a good weekend and some, you know, 20, 30, 40 people can say, oh, that was awesome. You know, and, and we can feel goosebumps. We can cry. We can be emotional and touched by God. No, that's, that's not the end game. The end game is that we would take what God did and start to do it, start to duplicate it, start to be productive in our workplace, in our schools, in our families. That's the nature. That's why we do what we do. And that's the objective that God has. Not that we can just, you know, thank you, God, for blessing me. And thank you for giving me those two seconds of goosebumps that I got during worship. No, God wants to send you. You know, I said this. We talked about it at prayer last night. You know, people were like, well, how does this all measure up? How does this, how does this work? You know, Matthew 8, 10. Uh, Jesus talked about going to heal the leopard, you know, uh, uh, raise the dead, tall order, you know, go and do these things. And at the end, he says um, to, uh, oh, hold on, let me, let me turn there before I butcher it. Um, sorry, guys. Is everybody all right? Yes. Okay. Okay, Matthew 10, 8, he says this. This is his charge. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Kind of a tall order, Jesus. Hello. I mean, but listen, you know, everybody gets so caught up. We're like, what do we do? How, what do we do? Listen to what Jesus closes this verse with. He says this. Give as freely as you have received. What is it? What do I do? I don't get locked in the what I do. I get locked into doing what Jesus has done for me. I've been given something that I want to give away. And, and, you know, those other things and those other areas and issues where I'm not so strong in, so be it. Let somebody else fill the cracks. But the things that in how Jesus saved me and rescued my life, surely I I can be an instrument of good in other people's lives. So if you've been given something freely, listen, don't hoard it. Don't hold on to it. Give it away. I'm so glad that, you know, pastors in my life sowed into my life, even prior to being a Christian. I'm glad that I met Chad Waller and others that, 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 that believed God for my life and, and were used to bring me into the kingdom of God. We've got to do something. Let's get to the rest of my word. Everybody all right? Quickly, let's just hop over for the sake of time to James chapter 22. James chapter 1, sorry, 22. Is everybody all right? You know, holding a lot of scripture up in the mind. That's all. James 1, 22. Everybody there? Here's James. He says this, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. 
for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans, the widows, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained of the world. I love, and you have probably heard me many times, uh, uh, quote James chapter 1, verse 22, where James uh, charges, he exhorts us to not just hear the word, but to do the word. Uh, I think that is so important. You know, it's believed by many scholars that James uh, chapter 1, 22 through 27 was an offshoot, if you would, of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 13. It was James uh, taking Matthew 13, developing it, expanding upon it, and even bringing it just a little bit further in the place of doing, because Jesus stayed within the realms of hearing and understanding. James attached doing. And somehow he connects deception, being deceived, but I think he explains it in the next six verses of what that looks like for us as believers if we don't do. Because although many of us get caught up on uh, pure and undefiled religious, this is to go to the widows, to, to go to the orphans, I think James is more talking about taking action than he is what pure and undefiled religion is because pure and undefiled religion is so much broader than just giving attention to the widows and the orphans. I think what James is meaning to say is be active. Don't sit and watch three Rocky movies. Be active. Do something with the word. Do something with the seed that I've sown into your life or else you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. And we're going to have to do this all again to charge back up the batteries. We don't need conferences to do this, friend. We don't need to have banning and loot. It's great that we can, but we don't need it. We can be activated and productive now as citizens of God, citizens of heaven. So James focuses on the doing. I know some of us get hives when we think about doing things, but I did not... um, Add to James's words here. These are his words. You know, faith is a free gift. It's a free gift. You do nothing for it. You do nothing to um, deserve it, to win it. It's a gift of God. But there, after salvation, comes our activity in the earth, our doing. And if we're not doing, James goes on to say that our religion is worthless. See, we get caught up and say, well, our religion is worthless if we don't... um, you know, uh, uh, visit, or if we don't give attention to the orphans and the widows. No, James is saying your religion is worthless and you're deceiving yourself if you're inactive, if you don't go and visit, if you don't take action and be productive. Are you hearing me today? Some of you I don't know. Listen, we already talked about hearing. Put your listening ears on. Verse 26 and 27, work to illustrate James' main point in verse 22. You can't say you're a religious person, again, if you have an unbridled tongue. 
Okay, I got it, right? And in other words, you cannot have loose lips. You cannot just speak and treat people, gossip and slander people the way you want and say that your religion is true. Now, of course, you, you, you've got that righteous, moral behavior that should be taking place, but you also have an active posture that you should be taking, something that you should do. Of course we know we shouldn't have an unbridled tongue, but James is more saying, listen, it's an action. James is saying, take action. Are you hearing me? Visit, take action action. Don't just sit on your couch. Don't just daff out at social media. I'm just as guilty as anybody. You may have witnessed my newsfeed. Oh my God, I'm trying to get healed. But uh, thank God the conference is over. That's all I got to say because my, my newsfeed was one just, I think Will said like a billboard for 110. It was just, hey, we got the people there and it was a way that God used it. Um, and so Again, religion that is pure and undefiled is one that takes action. Visit, bridle your tongue, those who are afflicted, and to stay unstained. All of those are things that we should be doing. They're not just recommendations. They're not just, hey, here's a good idea, friend. You might want to, you know, keep yourself pure. You might want to keep yourself un. No, this is take action, do it. Do what you can to stay unstained of the world. Do what you can to take action. Go visit. Do what you can to watch over your words. Jesus isn't going to do it for you, friend. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is not some taskmaster up in heaven pulling strings. I'll just navigate that. Okay, yep. Whoa, whoa, whoa. look out, Daryl, look out. He's not doing that. He He is freely calling you into loving him. And he is not a master. He's a lover. And he's looking for you to respond to him out of love, not because he's some dictator. And so James says, take take action. Again, I believe that James relates his main point in verse 22 by using the word visit. I can't say that enough. Don't just get caught up on what he's telling us to do. Get caught up on the, the fact that he's calling you to take action. Because it speaks to taking action, it's enough, okay? I've already said that. Everybody good? Remember, again, in James' definition, the uh, hearer is one who forgets. By James' definition, uh, but a doer is one who by perseverance acts. Guys, come on, just put, I know, it may not be flashy, but just tune in. I'm tuning in my radio station. My ears, Lord, let me hear it. I don't even know what that is, but it just came to me. A doer is one who by perseverance acts upon what he hears and Jesus blesses him for his doing. I don't know if I'm doing this right, Lord. I don't know, perseverance, that... I don't think that necessarily means that things come easy. Matter of fact, if you look at the beginning of James, if you look at the beginning of James, it's all about long-suffering. It's all about standing strong in the midst of persecution. It's all about perseverance. What does that mean? It's not going to come easy, friend. To not hit snooze on your alarm button when God has challenged you for five years to go to a morning set 
is not going to do it. It's going to take perseverance. Oh, am I touching something here? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought this was church. <laughs> no, this is, no, I was running for, uh, you know, the office here. Come on. How many times do we just shelf things that God is challenging us to take off and to do? Oh, you know, I just, God, you know, I know, I know I should be there at 1.30 with George and Will and Crystal ministering and taking action, doing something. Oh, I just feel, the church's main problem is it does nothing. It's content with just gathering and having these little four walls of comfort. It's a little bless me club. Oh, let's go sing songs, do the thing over and over and over and over and over. That is not New Testament. I'm glad we have these four walls. I'm glad I'm here with you today. But if, it's, if it stops here, then I want out. I want out. And so should you. Why? Because James says, your religion is worthless if you're not active. That might be hard, but it, it's James. I didn't say it, I'm just... Thank you, James. He can be, I can just reiterate. I can just share. Bless the Lord. So we got to do, again, uh, going back to Jesus, he says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This indicates that Jesus was looking for something more than just a way that most of you are probably hearing me right now. You weren't even hearing me, so it just went. <laughs> That's good. I just set you. I mean, I just set you up big time. And some of you are still looking. I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go home and pray about it. <laughs> he was looking for something that was not only heard but felt. Something that struck a chord in his listeners. Something that they felt. Something that would bear fruit in the lives of the hearers. Matthew 13, 23 says this, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and what understands it. It's not enough just to hear it. You've got to understand it. And if you don't understand it, you look for understanding. Jesus, tell me what this means. Just like those hungry disciples, tell me what these parables mean. We want to know. Ah. The good thing is for the disciples, this text, or the rest of this text, where Jesus says, in case, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, another thirty, where he's talking about the fruit that was being bared, there's a variation, there's room for all sorts of disciples in the kingdom of God. There's room, one, one philosopher says, there's room for the ordinary. <laughs> Thank God, because sometimes I feel so ordinary. I feel like my life is just bearing 30%. But there's also room for the spectacular. There's also room for those who would just say, God, I want to I w- I bear a hundred times that which was sown in my life. Come on, if you look at any revivalist, if you look at any evangelist, that was their cry. It wasn't just to get an education. It wasn't just to daff out, have a nice little uh, house and, and family with a white picket fence. It was, I want to bear fruit a hundred times more than what was sown into my life. 
But luckily, Jesus in his kindness knows that there's somebody that will only, there's some disciples that will only bear 30, there's some that will bear 60, and there's really, there's some that will bear 100. God, that's the kindness of God because most of us will probably only bear 30% in our lifetime. That was hard, but I'm talking to myself. Again, the hunger of the disciples was not questioning Jesus about the parable, but more desire to understand. Matthew 13, 11, Jesus replied to their question. He says this. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Jesus wasn't withholding. Can I just say this? Information or the meaning of the parable from the crowd and the disciples. Most likely when Jesus gave more understanding of the parable, and he, as he gave more understanding, he addressed the whole group. So by Jesus saying, listen, you're, not, you're permitted to understand right now uh, because God has given you the allowance to do so. He was more so speaking right into the nature and the posture of some people's hearts in the crowd. He wasn't, he wasn't withholding. It's not in the nature of God to withhold information, to withhold teaching, with, to withhold scripture. He's more talking about, is there an appetite here? Is there a, a desire to hear my words? Who, who wants to hear? Remember, Jesus' words are life-giving. Was it John who said he spoke and all creation was formed? He, his, his words, are to, they give life, they create things, they're powerful. But somehow, some way, most people were daffed out when the Messiah taught. You understand? This is God who in the beginning spoke all things into existence. But yet when he walked the earth, he probably had a small remnant of people truly desiring to hear and to understand and know what he was talking about. God, help us if we miss it. You are, the potential for you to miss things, guys, is off the roof. It's so high. I'll tell you what matters here is when we display the same hunger that the disciples have, that we have the same humility, that we don't assume we know. We don't assume that we get it. We ask the Holy Spirit, it's his job to reveal Jesus. Reveal Jesus, testify of Christ in our lives. And so most likely, Jesus wasn't withholding information. When he clarified in 19 through 22, he was speaking again to the large group, loudly and boldly. He doesn't withhold anything. Jesus was more looking at who was really understand, who was really listening. Matthew 13, 12, he says this, to those who listen to my teaching more understanding will be given. That's so gracious of God. Meaning, listen, if you really listen, don't worry. You know, I know my disciples, you may not get it. But listen, if you have, you have this heart, this desire to really want to know, guess what? I will, I will tell you. Not only will I tell you, but I will give you more understanding. That's the thing about God, even on this side of eternity. You're never left in the dark. And if you really have a hunger and a desire to know Jesus and to know his teaching and his word, you can investigate and you can not only investigate, but you can ask for more understanding. 
Jesus goes on to say, not only will I give them more understandings, they will have an abundance of knowledge. Thank you, God, I need it. But for those who are not listening, listening, this is so true, and this will speak right for itself. Listen, even what little understanding they have will be taken away. Jesus is not going to take it away. It's, you're like a man who quickly looks at the mirror, thinks you know what you look like, thinks you're hot, thinks you're, you know, you're, you're good looking and you're worth you know, uh, a date at least, and you go out but you, you forget what you're looking at and others are like, dude, you're not that good looking, bro, just saying. <laughs> okay, that's just a joke, don't feel bad. I'm, I didn't put a name there and I, maybe it wasn't that funny, but it's not true, but you understand. Even the little understanding that you think you have will be taken away. To those who are listening, they will gain more understanding and even an abundance of knowledge will be given to them. Matthew 13, 13, and we're going to sum this thing up. We're going to close it down. Matthew 13, 13 says this. That is why I use these parables, for they look. Listen, this is exactly what I was saying. That is why, this is Jesus speaking, I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen and understand. This one, again, speaks for itself in light of this message. Jesus is looking for something more than just an emotional, mental assent to his word. He is looking for something that gets inside of us and affects our lives. Where we cannot any longer go on with business as normal. Something changes. We're called to action. And that's my desire. That's my desire for us in the aftermath, the afterglow of 110, is that the seed that was sown wouldn't fall on shallow ground. It wouldn't fall amongst thorns. It wouldn't fall amongst a path where the birds of the air came and snatched it quickly. We would have the soil, the good ground needed to let that seed get in us. Let those words, let those teachings get in us and affect us and cause us to do something. Move us to be productive and bear fruit that glorifies God. Come on. That should be our heart. Let me close out with uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Just turn there. I think it's Hebrews chapter 12 and think again in Hebrews, although the writer is unknown. um, I think in Hebrews chapter 12 that the writer gives a bit of a, a light to what I'm talking about today and I think it will sum up beautifully hopefully what I'm talking about. This is unscripted. Give me five seconds. That's what happens when things are unscripted. This is uncomfortable. 
I just read this last night, that prayer. Oh, I don't want to give it away. Oh, here it is. It's not 12. It's five. <laughs> Unscripted. Okay, that awkwardness is done with. Let's move on, children. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5. Starting at verse 11. Here it is. There is much more we would like to say about this. Now they're giving the teacher here, the, the person who's addressing the Hebrews are talking about Melchizedek and they're making the links between Jesus and this dude named Melchizedek. We won't get into that because it will just kind of bunny tail us. Um, but here it is uh, in verse 11. We'll start again. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially, excuse me, since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That sounds very familiar to Matthew 13 and James chapter 122. Verse 12, he says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. Man, this scripture haunts me. It really does. Because <laughs> I understand by his words that he's not talking to newbies. He's not talking to believers that have been walking with the Lord for like a year or a couple months. He's talking to people who 12, 15, 20 years have been walking with the Lord and doing life. I mean, how would you like it if somebody came into your house or your church and said, hey, listen, you know, you've been walking with the Lord 20 years. That's all you got to show for it. You should be teaching others. You're not doing anything. You're, you're totally just daft out and uninterested. That haunts me. It, it just does. But he, Paul says, I mean, I said Paul. See, I think I know who the writer of Hebrews is. And that has not been confirmed. Although most people do believe it's Paul. But that's the story for another day. They were spiritually dull. You know, that's quite interesting about those who have walked with the Lord for a long time, me included. But there's more potential to become dull than those who have just walked with the Lord for a short season. In previous chapters, the writers of Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells the Hebrew church to go back to the beginning when they first found or were saved and go back to that interest and enthusiasm and excitement about Jesus. So we know he's trying to address something that has gone terribly off course over the years. And it all had to do with dullness and not listening. And the interesting thing about these couple of texts is that he doesn't say just leave it as you're not listening and that your hearts are dull. He says, you should be teaching others by now. Again, it follows line that you should be doing something and you're not. Friends, we should scratch our heads if this book doesn't lead us to take action. We should, like James, take to heart that our religion that our relationship with Jesus very well could be worthless on the measure of what we're doing. 
I didn't, listen, I know I don't seem very friendly right now. I really do love you. And honestly, this just came out of praying for what next, God? You see, I don't want to expend all that energy, all that money, all that time, all that focus, and all the energy that goes into something like last weekend and not come out with something other than, well, that was a good weekend. Who wants to do that? The whole tag of the conference, the whole slogan was turning the moment into a movement. God wants movements in the earth. He wants his people to move and take action, not just to listen and hear. Listening and hearing, it starts. But the true test, the tr- hear me, the true test of the strength of that word, the strength of that encouragement, the strength of that blessing and favor, the strength of those teachings... The true strength of them are found in what we do after, not what was done in the midst of those times. My heart is that we would be doers, guys. I'm not talking about doing things to earn favor with God, to please Him and, you know, have better merits. I'm talking about the type of doing that says, no, my, neighbor, my, my neighborhood's not going to hell. You know, my boss, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to die without sharing Jesus with my boss. That's, that's the kind of action I'm talking about. Yeah, you can clap at that. It's okay, really. It's, it's a bit of a golf clap. Let's try again. Go ahead. Michelle's going to share something. Um, I just wanted to give a practical application because I kind of forgot to do this earlier. But... Um, you know, Daryl's talking about doing, and we actually have a lot of stuff that you can do, like, right now. Um, we have the info center back there. We have small groups. We do serve the square, which we talked about earlier, which, like I said, like, it's a super easy way to talk to people about Jesus. Like I said, like, most of the time, like, you don't even have to bring it up. They start asking you questions, and it's just by giving people a piece of pizza, giving people a bottle of water. That, like, I can't tell you guys how that blows people's minds, they just keep saying, like, why are you doing this? Why? And even after you explain it, they're still like, but why? But why, would you, why do you come out here every week? And we see the same people every week, and we build relationships. You know, get in a small group, like, form a community. Like, you don't have to start an entire ministry. You don't have to evangelize half the city. You know, like, talk to a coworker. You know, like, I don't know, just do something. Like, there's lots of things to do here that are practical, that are small, that don't require a lot of investment or money. Like, it's really just time. It's time. It's getting up in the morning. It's showing up to volunteer. It's praying for someone who looks like they need prayer instead of, like, hopping on the bus because you're in a hurry. So I just want to direct you guys back there after service. If you want to do, we have lots of stuff to do, easy stuff to do. So go see George after service. And the other thing I want to mention that I didn't is the 110 Collaborative. Israel Shaw, right back there. Leading the 110 Collaborative, and it's really, it's about empowering people to do, to do the movement, to turn the moment into a movement. So they're going to be at MIT for the next uh, four weeks. Uh, this next week, they're going to be talking about social justice and empowering people to do that, like what that is and how to do it. They're going to be meeting at Building 5 at MIT on the second floor. What time is that at, Israel?
So if you want more information about that, you can also go to the Info Center or the Hilltop or the J-Hop page. Thank you, Michelle. So I guess what Michelle's trying to say is we're not a people who do nothing. You know, it's not we just live for today. And, and one thing that wasn't mentioned, I want to talk about something briefly uh, that I think is one of the most important things that you can actively do as a believer. And that is actively be involved with praying. You know, sometimes we major on things that should be majored upon. And by majoring upon those, we overlook some things that I think Jesus would major on if he was here. And sometimes the best action and the best course of doing that we can do is joining together, praying for each other, praying for our city, praying for our churches, praying for our nation. And so, yeah, I I just want to kind of call out that. Listen, we want to be a church of doers. We really do. And we're not doing things to be approved by God. He's already approved of us. But we are doing because God is interested in his glory. And the one way, one of the ways that he is glorified the most is in our doing, is in our being fruitful and multiplying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the word. And God, I I just ask, Lord, that um, we would ponder and meditate upon these things, meditate upon these scriptures, Lord, that we wouldn't just um, be casual, but Lord, that we would be involved, that we would be um, we would be gripped, God. We would be emotionally, spiritually moved by these things and out of that, Lord, would come a life that is blessed by doing and not just hearing only. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Bethany comes up, because I'm sure she has something lovely to say. Um, I, was, I was sincere about that. I want to say just one more time, just remember that we will not be meeting here tomorrow at 10 o'clock. I mean, sorry, next Sunday at 10 o'clock, excuse me. Um, We'll be meeting at 6.30. We'll be doing a worship night. We have some testimonies that are going to be shared of what God is doing in the lives of our community. And so we're going to share some of those. And we're just going to gather together and worship Jesus. Sound good? It's okay? Everybody all right? You're live? Well, okay. I think the passage of scripture that Daryl taught on today is one of my favorite passages of scripture, the sower and the seed. And as a high school student, a prophet actually gave me a very specific word about the 30, the 60, and the 100 fold. And it's something that's really marked and followed my life. Um, But just as a word of encouragement to everybody here is I actually heard a teaching by Mike Bickle many years ago, like when IHOP was just starting. And he was talking about the 30, 60, and the 100 fold. And basically what he said is, and I'll use this as an example, is like you can look at someone like a Lou Engle that can put 400,000 people on a Washington mall and it looks like massive influence and it looks like, wow, that's a hundredfold fruitfulness right there. But you only God knows what truly, in, 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 and when I say this, yes, lose life is fruitful, but for lose life, that fruitfulness might only be 30-fold. 
There might be greater capacity of fruitfulness. But the same is true is that you could look at a young mom, like I, my mom, when we were young, she used to do VBSs in our neighborhood. My mother's yes when I was a child, she was giving a hundredfold and her fruitfulness was a hundredfold for what God had called her to in that season. She was evangelizing every child in our neighborhood. And you know, you might look at her life in comparison to like a Billy Graham and think, well, that's not very fruitful. But before God, it's your yes. And really what it comes down to is you can't measure your life next to Daryl's. You can't measure your life next to Lou's. Or even measure yours thinking that you're maybe you're more fruitful because someone else is less fruitful. Before God, he knows the gifts and the talents, the potential and the capacity that he's placed within you. And before God, that's, that's the only person you stand before. That's the only person. And you know what it really comes down to is living your life without regret. Not standing back and thinking, I should have given more. Or I know that I could have given more. He wants you to stand with a heart saying, that was a hundredfold of what he called me to. So for some, I mean, I look at some of the people, it was actually during worship, I was looking at several of the leaders that are here that have been pouring their life in intercession for this city and God using them in this city and knowing that they have given a yes with everything within them. And so I just want to encourage you today that that, that understanding of 30, 60, and 100 fold is give it all to him without reservation and stand with no regret that there was more that you could have done, but do not measure your life next to any other individual, regardless of where God's called you or what he has called you to do. Do it with all of your might. And it's really, that's the principle that, you know, he's talking about. Even with this, this issue of the seed, it goes back to what Banning started our night with, was community and the word of God. If you live your life in community, which basically means accountability, that you're not independent and off doing your own thing. I'm going to be honest, we've been in the ministry a long time. I've seen a lot of people very zealous, very radical, have lots of vision in doing nothing because they're independent and they think they know it all. But I've seen the opposite true. I've seen very weak people that have very little vision, but they bind their life in community and accountability, and God breathes on them, and they exponentially increase. So it's community and the word of God and a yes in your spirit. Yes with everything within you. And you know what? You will see a hundredfold if you're responding in that place. Come on, is this good? Yeah. Yeah. That's my wife right there. I know. You want to marry somebody like that, okay? You, let me tell you, men, you want to get a wife like her. Okay, listen, so um, we're a community, we're a family. If you feel like you're not part and you'd like to be a part, again, info man and info lady will be over at the info center. And they're able to... Um, give you all the information about the various ways that you can be part of the family. You see what here? This is like family time in the big room, okay? And in the big room, not everybody's needs and uh, desires and, 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 and afflictions and so on get met. But I'm telling you, in the little breakdown things of what this family does, they'll get met. And so don't just be a participator here. Don't just be a free, you know, I won't say it. Never mind. Amen. Get involved. Get connected. 
um, more than a beard. Next week, guys, Navy SEALs guy is coming in. He's going to beat on us. Uh, he's going to, it's going to be great. It's free food. Come out, be a part of it. Last, um, more than a beard was great. Uh, we love you guys. Listen, come next Sunday, all right? Drop by the info center. Be blessed.